In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Just when you think that Red Bull might be the main talking point, I think Ferrari and V-Carb might be even bigger than that. And in regards to the Daniel and Yuki stuff, somebody had better pick up that phone, because I called it. So, the first race of 2024 is done, and I bet a lot of you have already tuned out. Oh my god, Max Verstappen's gonna win. The RB20 is so fast. Well, is it, though? Well, of course it is, with Max Verstappen. That goes without saying. That combination is absolutely perfect. But when you look at other little things, you get the feeling that the teams around them were having little troubles of their own. Had they been in a better situation, then Sergio Perez might not have been second place and they might not have had a 1-2. And that maybe Charles Leclerc would have been about maybe 15 seconds behind Max Verstappen like I predicted. And there was one point throughout the entire race that George Russell was messing up my prediction because my top five looked almost perfect, but then... Darn and blast it, George got in the way. But then you look to something that the casual F1 fan mentioned on Twitter, and it was a really good point, and I really wanted to bring it to your attention, that because of Charles Leclerc's front braking issues, which we saw a lot of in Turn 10, it's an infamous corner for all of that. If you've got a brake problem, Turn 10's going to show the world your issues. Had Charles Leclerc not had that issue, he probably would have been second place, but not by much, maybe about like five seconds ahead of Sergio Perez or something. So there was a little bit of luck going Checo's way. And Checo has said there is still some stuff to work from. But regardless, Red Bull has started the campaign with a 1-2 like they did last year. And Sergio Perez, whilst he's probably not going to be challenging Max Verstappen for a championship, he is certainly looking more composed. I think this was his best result since the Italian Grand Prix last year. So a very good start to the season. I have heard mutterings from the Red Bull camp or rumours to that effect that if Sergio can get second place again, he might be in with a shot of a little bit of an extension, unexpectedly. But we'll get to that bit later. But I would definitely say that the biggest winner from this race was Carlos Sainz. He was not necessarily the quickest because Charles Leclerc did outqualify him. But the main thing is, is that Carlos Sainz is doing what he's always been doing since he joined the Scuderia in 2021, giving his team a big headache that they did not sign up for. They thought that he would have just been the wingman to Charles Leclerc 
help defend him from any people behind him, and just do his job like was intended. But Carlos wasn't prepared to act like the wingman. He just wanted to make a statement, most likely. I remember one of the radio transmissions saying, I'm faster than the guys around me. And then the radio guy was just saying, okay, good to know. And you just get the feeling that Carlos was not going to hang around and wait for something to happen. If Shaw has issues, Carlos is going to capitalize on it. But I don't get the feeling there's going to be any animosity between these two drivers specifically. This is Carlos against Ferrari. All the while, his replacement, Lewis Hamilton, was the lower-scoring Mercedes. And we'll get to that bit later again. There are some reasons for it, but still. For Lewis, oh dear, that's not a good look. Oh, sugar, George, you looked so composed this weekend. Throughout the entire stint of Bahrain and all the practice sessions, George just looked calmer. He looked more relaxed. He just seemed chill, chipper, dapper even. George was getting the measure of the car, whilst Lewis was just not getting it and not really getting the most out of it in qualifying. And we will, again, just get to his bit later, because don't worry, he's not a loser, but Hamilton didn't have the greatest of weekends, especially off the back of the Ferrari news. But George just seemed more assured and was right in the mix for second before Mercedes were a little bit too ambitious with their cooling solutions, which led to power complaints, and that saw George fall to fifth. All the while, Oscar and Lewis did not collide, like they have done a couple of times, and Lewis got seventh place. But throughout the weekend, the younger Brit just seemed like he was quite pleased with the result. He seemed to be the more optimistic driver. And that is understandable, because George Russell is going to be going into the next season as the de facto team leader. He needs to be the driver that they all circle around. He's got to be the guy to give them motivation, like Yuki Tsunoda did in 2023. He has to be the rallying guy, calling the troops together and give them motivation. The W15 is a pretty decent car. Like I've said in previous videos, I don't think it's going to be setting the world light just yet. Give it a few races and it will be challenging for podiums and maybe a win or two as they can get a handle on this brand new concept. But for this opening gambit, being third place in qualifying, that's not bad. Then I've got two men that for the longest time in 2023, they were pretty much nobodies, Zhou Guan Yu and Kevin Magnussen. First off, Zhou Guan Yu. He was 11th place. Sure, he didn't score any points, but for that brand new Sauber with that brand new concept, this was not a bad opener. It showed that this concept had legs and that Zhou was able to compose himself whilst his teammate was having a mighty of a race and he was probably one of the biggest losers of the weekend. But you just get the feeling that Zhou has got a lot to prove. This is the final year of his contract and the senior engineers of Sauber have told him you cannot make mistakes. Well, this was certainly not a mistake. And after him nearly losing the car in qualifying, you get the feeling that if he hadn't had that little bit of a Larry moment coming out of the last corner, he would have made it to Q2 and maybe 13th or 12th. And he might have been in with a shout for a point after his little bit of a glory run in testing. You feel like, OK, show, not bad. That's all right. Good. We need more of that, please. Being near the points or even getting some points. Hopefully Sauber do not end up ninth like I predicted, but good opening stint. And so goes for Kevin Magnussen. Nico Hülkenberg has a little bit of a moment at the beginning of the race, and Kevin Magnussen just quietly does his job and seemingly has shown to the world that has might not be last, or if they are last, they are not going to be last by miles. Whatever Ayo Komatsu has been doing, and whatever is in the water it has, it seems to be providing some clue as to maybe finally getting over their tyre issues. They've been doing a lot of focus on long runs, and this is really encouraging. Kevin Magnussen is good at Bahrain. He got fifth place in 2022. An opening gambit then was really strong. And after 2023, when he just looked lost and he was second to last in the driver's standings, this, coming out ahead of his own teammate, who is faster in qualifying, but then had a messy race, 
This is going to be boosting his morale to no end. And of course, you know I'm a McLaren fan. How can I not include McLaren as the winners? Let's be real here. This is the first time that McLaren has scored in Bahrain since 2021. In one singular race, Lando and Oscar scored 12 points. That's nearly all the points that they scored in the first third of 2023 in the opening race, which they have historically in recent years been terrible at, not scoring any points or having reliability issues. And you get the feeling that Lando might have been in fifth place had the race gone on for a few laps more. Because of those power issues that George Russell had, Lando Norris might have found himself in the top five, like I predicted. But unfortunately, he wasn't quite there. But sixth place is still not terrible. But it could have been more had he not had that qualifying issue. According to some, losing two to three tenths, he might have been third or fourth on the second row, perhaps. For a McLaren, considering that Ferrari had dubbed the second fastest car, that would have been a big coup for Lando and a really good opening statement for being Lando Prime, like we all hope. But sixth and eighth for McLaren, I will take it. They scored points. And not only that, it was a double points finish at a track they are notoriously terrible at. And according to some rumors, the first major upgrade, like they had in Baku last year, will be in China in a few races' time. And this might be coupled with their ideal situation of having piecemeal upgrades throughout the entire year. So don't be sleeping on McLaren just yet. They might be right next to Ferrari, if not faster, by the time we get to Shanghai. I hope so. The hopium is strong with me. Then we get to the entities, which I felt were a little bit this time out, and I'm going to start off with Ferrari. Sure, they are the second fastest team, but what we've seen thanks to Carlos Sainz is that they've now got that headache back again that they thought they had finally gotten rid of by making the SF24 specifically tailored to Charles Leclerc. That's all well and good when the car works, but when Charles has some front braking issues, which he has no idea how to fix, and he's on the radio going like, guys, I can't brake, what's going on? And you get these reliability issues, and yeah, of course, you can easily justify saying, well, at least Charles Leclerc finished the race unlike last year. Yeah, he had points, but if he had not had those issues, he probably would have kept his second place on the grid. We got now Carlos Sainz starting to be defiant in his final year at Ferrari, trying to throw a cat amongst the pigeons yet again. Since 2021, Carlos had been doing just that, proving to them that he is not going to be the number two driver and he does outscore Charles. Now, again, like I said earlier, I'm not saying that Carlos was better throughout the entire weekend because Charles did outqualify him. But at the end of the day, Carlos capitalized on it. That little bit of discord is exactly what Ferrari does not need. They do not need one of their drivers fighting against them, Ferrari, because come on. Burning bridges with Ferrari, that's not a good look. Especially when I think I heard him say that maybe he might end up back at Ferrari one day or something like that. This is going to be an even bigger headache. This, no, no, no. Carlos Sainz is now going to turn that headache into a migraine. But the silver lining here is that, yes, indeed, according to their test sessions, they were the second fastest team. Yes, they are the second fastest team. So long as the car remains reliable and they don't have any more braking issues. Then we've got Aston Martin. Yeah, okay, it was anticlimactic and disappointing considering the glorious Bahrain they had last year where they got a podium and Lance Stroll managed to come back from injury and get a solid points finish, which was incredibly ballsy and something to respect. Aston Martin are not the second fastest team. They are probably the fifth fastest team and they might be in danger of being the no man's land team. As in, they're not quite fast enough to be with the top four and trying to challenge for podiums maybe with McLaren or Mercedes, but neither are they near the likes of V-Carb or Alpine because, oh my goodness, Alpine, that drop-off. This is reminding me of 2019 Williams all over again, but again, we'll get to that later. But the point is, though, is that Aston Martin, 
they're fine. They're solid. They got a double points finish at the end of the day. Lance Stroll had a little bit of a moment at the beginning of turn one. Not his fault, mind you. He was the biggest victim out of all of them with that really slow spin and turn one. When I saw that, I was going, oh, that's like the worst because, oh, it's so slow. You know it's happening. And then you just wanted to be over with it. Oh, no. Oh, poor Lance. I really felt bad for him because he managed to get back up to 10th, having been near the back. So that's something to commend. And as for Fernando Alonso, sure, he didn't set the world light, but he was up there for a sixth or seventh for a while. But then he realized that Aston Martin are clearly not in the position to be deserving of those positions just yet. So he didn't fight against the likes of Lewis or Lando. He just got on with it and managed to secure P9. So they did get a double points finish. They are fifth in the constructors. They have points. Ultimately, that's what you need, a solid baseline. So fine. Aston Martin, okay, but nowhere near as good as last year. Now, I don't care what you say about this next one. Logan Sargent, to me, is not a loser. Right away, I saw that Logan was able to make the most of where he was, and he went up the order quite a bit. I think he started 18th, and then he ended up 14th within a few laps. Let's remember here, sure, Logan did fall out of Q1, but he was only about a tenth behind Alex. He was right on top of Alex. And because of the convergence of the entire grid, a tenth is something like three or four places difference. But then the FW46 came back to bite him. And I just find it ironic. Alex Albon had been complaining about the infamous Williams steering wheel, where the main console is on the car itself. They've now changed it to look more like a Dorito. But now Alex was complaining that he couldn't see the display and that things were going off like crazy, all the bells and whistles. I think one time it said the car was too hot. Logan's problems resulted in him having brake balance issues, steering issues, which resulted, I think, in him having to change the steering wheel. And he then locked off and he just fell all the way to the back. He couldn't recover because, you know, he obviously had to change the steering wheel and had all those problems. Like Lando last year had those hydraulic issues, which relegated him to the back. He just felt like, oh, this was terrible for Logan. He looked so jazzed. He looked fired up. I think he might have been in contention for challenging for points and been up there with Magnussen and Joe. And if he could have done that in the first race, that would have been a huge justification and vindication of all the training that he's done over the winter. So to me, Logan did good, and I will not hear a word against it. But Lewis Hamilton, oh dear. After signing a near half a billion dollar deal to go to Ferrari with the chairman of Ferrari, John Elkin, you then get this, Bahrain where George Russell outscores you and looks the more complete driver over the weekend. I'm sorry, that's not a great way to start the season. But truth be told, his setup was compromised, going for more of a race-like setup, because that's how the W15 has been gearing itself, more of a race pace car, like the Red Bull is. But at the same time, its qualifying pace is still good as well. But the Mercedes qualifying is inconsistent, because you know, George Russell could get it on P3, and Lewis could not. And that's a... That's concerning, considering all of the hubbub that Lewis made last year about the car not being tailored to him and them not listening to him. Well, it seems like they've listened to him, and this first race was not ideal, because George just looked more consistent, and had he not had that power issue, you get the feeling that George might have been challenging for the podium, or at least kept third, or at least fourth, behind Carlos. Sure. Lewis did have his really good endgame moment and managed to get a couple of places up. He did end higher than he started, so I can't make him a loser for that. But... All the hubbub over the last month regarding his future with Ferrari, and then you get this lukewarm performance where, sure, it's points and decent points, but it's not going up to P5 and then overtaking your teammate in a car that has been tailored to you. 
So I hope that Lewis can get used to this and that as the W15 progresses, more of his input can be implemented with the upgrades. And then by the time we get to Canada, one of his best tracks, he might be in contention for a win. This is going to be interesting how this all works, but considering all of the problems that B-Cub and Ferrari had, I think the Mercedes issues are going to be child's play by comparison. And now we're going to get to the losers. And oh boy. Okay, I'm just going to start off with this one, B-Cub. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All of the hubbub from before the season starting with them challenging for P5, having more parts from the RB19, and then we get P13 and P14. And we then get Yuki Tsunoda out qualifying Daniel, which I'm not going to lie, I am all about because I want Yuki and I predicted Yuki to be partnering Max Verstappen next year. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. But then you get all the stuff that happened towards the end. For the most part, V-Carb were fine. They were in the midfield. They were in the bottom 10. But they were solid, fine, decent. But then you get the alternate strategy with tyres and Daniel Ricciardo getting to go past Yuki Tsunoda. And we all know that Yuki Tsunoda is a bit of a hothead and he does have a little bit of a temper on him. But this time out, I'm sorry, I cannot defend that. This is something that he's probably taken a leaf out of Pierre Gasly's book from Suzuka of having a post-race cooldown lap tantrum. Whilst Pierre relegated himself to just going like that with his helmet on the camera, Yuki did a really petulant move, which almost saw him colliding with Daniel. And Daniel, who's usually unflappable, was just like, what the heck was that? And then calling him a bleeping helmet. I'm not going to lie, this is exactly what I expected. Yuki and Daniel, they are fighting for something. And that is potentially being Max Verstappen's teammate in the RB21. This is a big prize. This is the whole point of V-Car. These two drivers are in contention for that seat. But then you get the rumours, as I mentioned before, that Sergio Perez, if he keeps P2, like last year, he might be in with the snifter of perhaps a one-year deal. I don't know if it's a one-year deal for sure, but if they can just carry on to the end of this regulation cycle, then Checo might get one more year to consider his options, maybe retire on a high or perhaps. But regardless, that news is not something that Yuki and Daniel might want to hear. So they then have to try even harder. And then when you get team orders, I'm sorry, Yuki, Daniel was on the softer tyre. You can't just keep him behind you. And I know that Yuki was doing his job for AlphaTauri last year and being the team leader. But in this situation, Daniel had the faster tyre and he needed to get past. And you weren't letting him. And then you had a bit of a tantrum about it. And then you nearly crash into him on the cooldown lap. How bad is that going to look, especially when you have a cost cap? This is the opening season of VCarb, this new identity of the second Red Bull team. And then you get this where the drivers are trying to collide with each other on the track. That's not a good look. I'm sorry, Yuki. That was terrible. 
And all of this completely undermines all of the stuff that he did in Abu Dhabi, where he was masterful, using those upgrades to great effect. And at one point, he led the race. I thought Yuki had turned a corner, but oh, this was terrible. I'm sorry. But okay, it's not quite as terrible as the situation at Alpine. As we all know what happened in 2019 when Paddy Lowe, the technical director of Williams, parted company, right when we realised how bad the Williams of that year was going to be, we are now getting a similar situation happening with Alpine. Because now we are getting the technical director and the head of aerodynamics being asked to resign. Yeah, okay. And then there's all the talk that Bruno Famine, the temporary team principal of the team, doesn't have a ready person to fill in the boots of the technical director, as in the person that they want to have is not available, or they haven't thought about it. This has happened again. There are loads of places at Alpine that are being filled with temporary staff. Famine! There's meant to be a different team principal, but they haven't found one. You just get the feeling of, what are they doing? I guess maybe the reason why they had to do this is to show their investors that they're doing something, that they're not sitting on their laurels. In a way, this kind of makes the Mercedes letter of Bahrain 2023 look like a note on a handkerchief in terms of significance. At least people kept their jobs. Mike Elliott wasn't fired yet. But then you get Matt Harmon and then the head of Aero just saying bye-bye right after one race. Like, oh, I mean, at least they got a race, unlike Paddy Lowe. I mean, oh my, oh, whoa. I feel really bad for Gasly and Ocon right now, but I mean, Gasly can probably handle this because he's been at a backmarker team with Alpatari in 2022. But then you get Espan Ocon. After having a podium last year and winning for Alpine in 2021, he is still connected to Mercedes in some way. That's going to go into overdrive this year. I don't think he wants to stay at Alpine. I don't think he cares anymore. I think he just wants to get out. And I don't blame him, quite frankly, because Alpine, they're the new Williams. I'm sorry. <laughs> because at least Haas has a plan. I never thought I would say this. Haas being more together than Alpine. At least Ayo Komatsu was instantly put in after Gunther Steiner left. There was a replacement. G had a replacement in order. Whereas Bruno Thamin does not have one. I did not see that coming. But okay, let's get to drivers. Nico Hulkenberg. I reckon that he's probably the driver who lost out the most. He got into Q3 in the house. Nobody expected that to happen. Or at least no one really expected them to be setting the world alight because Komatsu was the epitome of pessimism, saying they would be at the back at Bahrain. Then he got a little bit optimistic, cautiously so. And then we get Nico getting into Q3. And then ultimately Magnussen getting P12. And it makes you wonder, Nico might have genuinely scored points if he kept that situation in check and not gotten into an argy-bargy with Stroll. And to be fair, it wasn't Hulk's fault entirely. There was something going on and I'll mention that in a moment. But the point is though, it was a lost opportunity. This was the opportunity for Nico to score a point in a car that was not expecting to be scoring points right now. Maybe later on in the season, if they can get their upgrade path in order. But right now, no. Nobody expected has to be scoring. But there was now a glimmer of hope that it could happen. That if they'd gotten over their tyre gremlins and they had a really good qualifying position, that maybe they might have gotten at least one point, maybe two, if luck was in their favour, which it clearly was not for Nico. Then we get Valtteri Bottas. Once again, a wheel nut compromised his race. He was left in the pits for over a minute, and then ultimately, he was the instigator of that turn one incident, which saw Hulkenberg and Stroll compromised. And you just get the feeling that, oh no, Valtteri, this is not a good look, because yet again, he is another driver whose contract is up at the end of the season, and he's trying to convince Audi to keep him on for the second transitional year as Sauber before they then become Audi, to then maybe partnering up with Carlos Sainz, who's the rumoured person to be coming to Sauber and then Audi. All the while, Zhou Guan Yu managed to survive a near spin in qualifying to then get to P11 
all the while your more experienced teammate and probably more expensive teammate ends up near the back and then compromised and was the person to blame for another example of some light bowling at turn one. Yeah, okay, I get that Bottas is happy. He's happier than he was at um, Mercedes, but mm, that does not translate to results, especially at a track where he is kind of good. And whenever Alfa Romeo, they start off well, Bottas usually scores points. Not this time, though. I think he was second to last. There is going to be plenty to talk about this coming week. I am really excited to talk about it, as well as giving more predictions. So if you're looking forward to finding out more about my predictions, do be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening to my ladder ramblings. If you liked what you heard, do be sure to leave a five-star rating on your podcasting platform of choice. I really do appreciate it. And until the next time I traverse the ladder, I hope you have a pleasant day. Goodbye.